This will be the last study in the book of Ephesians today. Don't clap. We started in January. We're going to finish up. I want to just say this from my heart to yours. This study has been for me. Maybe it's not been for you. But I've needed this. I've needed God to touch me every single week with his word. Not only in the study, but in the delivery of it. I'm preaching to many people But as I'm preaching, I'm also preaching to myself. And I'm grabbing myself by the shirt collar saying, hope in God. Hope in God. Jesus is my only hope. So as I'm preaching and teaching, I want you to know that I'm participating in the message. So I pray today for those of you in this room that have gone through this study with us, that you will not dismiss these final words, which are big words, because these words that Paul closes with are absolutely huge. They are incredible. Most commentaries, most of the software that I have, they don't even include 21 to 24. So it's kind of like when you dissect Scripture and you look at Scripture from different angles, you see that it's written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is a big landing that we're going to make today. This is to encourage us in our walk today. This is an incredible few verses that actually wrap up and tie a bow around this book. It's about Christ in you. It's about Christ coming forth in your life and my life. And Paul is going to finish it up, and he's going to finish strong. It's kind of like when you go to the movies. You know, the cue to leave the movie theater is when the credits start rolling. And that's when people go. But if you'll wait and you'll hang on till the end of all the credits, then at the end they'll show you some scenes that were either deleted scenes or scenes that weren't included in the movie. And what most people do with this book study is they they leave at the end of verse 20. But 21 to 24 is like the credits are still rolling and these are some scenes that haven't been deleted. These are scenes that are in God's word for us to be encouraged by. So if you're a guest with us today, we love you. We love you so much at Sagemont. We are so glad you came here today. There are many churches that you could have attended today, but you chose here. And it means a lot to us. And we don't have a corner on God here at Sagemont. There are other churches that speak truth and worship in spirit and truth. But by the fact that you came today, we believe that God has you here by his sovereignty. And he wants to speak a word to you. If it's the only time you come, you can receive the gift of salvation today. And Christ in you can leave this place with you and you'll forever be be changed. So we welcome you today. Let's look at verses 21 to 24. Here's what Paul says. This is the closing of an incredible book. Here's what Paul says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful ministry in the Lord will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he does. This is amazing. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus in sincerity. Amen. The word amen means let it ever be so and don't ever think about changing it. 
That's what Paul's saying here. So these words are vital to our understanding of the gospel. These are big words. They're final words. They're important for us to understand. So remember last week, Paul was in chains. You remember, he's in chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about being a prisoner of the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, he's a prisoner of the Lord. So his circumstances are not working against him. They're actually working for him. So this is important to understand. So he says this, but that you may also, verse 21, that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. What Paul is saying here is not that he's in prison. He's not trying to inform the church at Ephesus that he's in prison. They already know he's in prison. They want to know how he's doing in prison. Well, here's how Paul's doing in prison. Paul knows that God is sovereign. Paul is not bitter. He doesn't come to the end of this book and write a bitter closing and a bitter letter like, I can't believe that I'm in prison. I should be out ministering the gospel. Listen, God is squeezing a message right through his life in chains. And God wants to do that in your life. And God wants to do that in my life. So the issue was they wanted to know about the affairs of how he was doing. So what I think what Paul was saying here is his predicament didn't change his position. He knew who he was in Christ. And when you and I go through tough times, when we go through difficult challenges, our predicament doesn't change our position in who we are and whose we are. Sometimes you get so overwhelmed by your circumstances, you can't see what's out there. But what you need to understand is there's something on the inside of you and me that helps us with the external outside. And it's the inside that carries us to be able to have favor on the outside. So Paul being chained as to a prison guard is saying to the church at Ephesus, I've got a guy named Tychicus. He's going to let you know how I'm doing. Because here's what Paul is saying. I want you to know that I've learned to be content in prison. Paul has a prison ministry. Isn't this amazing? We have a prison ministry here at this church called the less and the least. Our seminary, uh, many of our professors in our extension when it was here at this campus, and I'm assuming they continue to do this, they had a ministry where we would go into the prison and teach prisoners. But listen, this is real prison ministry. We think of a prison ministry as we got to go in and reach the prisoners. Paul says, wait a minute, let's flip the script. I am a minister in prison and I'm speaking this gospel to you today and to me today so that we could be encouraged. That's incredible prison ministry. Do you understand it doesn't matter what you face? It doesn't matter where you are today that you can find Christ to be your sufficient salvation in the midst of whatever situation God has you in chains. You don't ever focus on your situation. You focus on the sufficiency of the one who's in control of your situation. Do you understand that today? I'm speaking to someone today. You're about to throw in the towel. You're about to say, I can't take it anymore. It's just too much. Too much is happening to me. And that's what a lot of people say. Too much is happening to me. Listen, your happiness does not depend on what is happening to you. Because if you are happy today, that means your circumstances must be happiness. But if you're not happy today, that may mean that your circumstances aren't very happy. But you can't find happiness in your happy circumstances because here's the deal. Jesus didn't come to make you happy. He came to implant a joyful life in you where you could be sufficient in him no matter what situation you find yourself in. 
He is all sufficient. He is all powerful. He is all strong. He is all merciful. He is all gracious. He is so gracious and sweet and kind to love me in my pain. And it's not that I'm going to escape the pain of going through situations in my life. And Paul didn't either. But God's way of escape of the pain is right through the middle of the pain. We go through the middle of the pain. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not walk around the pain in order to go to the cross. He went through the pain because the joy that was set before him was you. You were set before him. He didn't look at the pain. He went right through the pain because he saw people like you and me that he died for, that he loves, that he has a plan for. So when you find yourself in a situation today, when you say, well, what are my affairs like in prison? Let's be encouraged by the Apostle Paul because he says, the way I'm doing is Christ is my doing. He's my being. He's my life. He's my everything. So sometimes people, when we witness to them, we witness to them usually on sunny days. Things are going well. But let me tell you something when you really witness. You witness by your life, by the way you and I handle trials, and the way you and I handle situations, and the way Paul handled his trial, the way Paul handled his situation, is he says, God is sovereign, he is good, I want to give him glory, so therefore I surrender even in chains to the mission and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you today in your life? Are you kicking and screaming about some situation that you're facing when God's saying, I want you to find me as sufficient. I want you to be content with where you are because I'm going to do a work that's going to blow everybody away, but I need you to cooperate with me and surrender to me so that I can squeeze a message of my love, the mystery of salvation through you, not only through you, but to you, and not only through you and to you, but to somebody else. So you have a ministry. You have a ministry in your prison. In your prison today, there's a pulpit just like this, and you're speaking a message of somebody to the world. It shouldn't be a message of you and me. It should be a message of Christ in me. I submit. I surrender. Verse 21. Tychicus, here's what he says. Look at this. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you. So what he's saying is, obviously, I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I'm in a predicament, if you will, but my position is I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to send a runner to you. His name is Tychicus. But let me tell you a couple of things about Tychicus that is very important to understand. First of all, he's a beloved brother. He's a beloved brother. He's not just a brother, but he is a beloved brother. You know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ in here. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, we're all connected by the same bloodline. And so the idea is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But some people are beloved brothers. There's a special relationship with. There's people that will go to war with you and go to war for you. They're a beloved brother. And Tychicus was this type of person. Tychicus was a type of person that was a beloved brother for Paul. And so the understanding was this. And it says here in verse 21, and he was a faithful minister. The word faithful means Uh, someone who is responding to the faithfulness of God. Now, I want you to understand, I want to back up here a little bit for our talk here in Ephesians because a lot of people are busy serving, but they're not faithful. 
Now stay with me here so you don't get offended and so I don't offend you, but let me make sure that something's clear. There are a lot of people in churches all across America that are trying to make up for bad mistakes that they've made in their life. So when someone says, do you want to serve in the church? They'll serve everywhere. They'll do everything. Because a lot of them, they're trying to make up ground with God. They're trying to be okay with God and they're trying to do that by their good works. So they wouldn't be a faithful minister, they would be a busy minister. Don't ever equate busyness to faithfulness. Listen carefully. So faithfulness is this. Faithfulness is God is the one who is faithful. So because of God's faithfulness to me, I turn around and I respond and cultivate a love for him out of his first initiating faithfulness in my life. So I am faithful today, and you are faithful today, not because we're busy, Busyness does not equate to faithfulness. Busyness sometimes equates to works of the flesh. But faithfulness equates to the covenant relationship that I have with God. So God has so overwhelmed me with his faithfulness to me that I'm not holding on to him, he's holding on to me. But the reason that I serve God and I want to be faithful to him is not to try to be okay with God. I'm already okay with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. There are people who actually serve because they are trying to be okay with God. Listen, if you can be free from that today and understand that Jesus Christ fully loves you, fully forgives you, and fully accepts you, and you can respond to his faithfulness by being faithful to him because you're already okay. It's not Jesus plus this that makes me okay. Jesus plus being an usher, Jesus plus being a teacher, or Jesus plus being whatever. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that makes me faithful because he is faithful. So I don't have to respond to him in busyness and serving because i got to make up for lost ground. I really made some mistakes when I was in high school. In fact, I really blew it in college. God says, enough is enough. I forgave all of your sins, past, present, and future. Now, Freeman, you serve me out of my faithfulness to you, and you can respond in faithfulness to me because I'm faithful to you. Do you see that? Listen, it goes back to our identity in Ephesians. Our identity leads to our activity. Not our activity, service, busyness, leads to identity. You get your identity right. You understand who you are and whose you are. And then out of the flow and the reservoir of his grace and him cultivating love in you, you just respond in faithfulness. Man, we are faithful people because God is faithful. And he has planted his seed of faithfulness in my life. And so I respond to him by saying, Lord, I want to be like Tychicus. I want to be a faithful, look what the text says, minister. Minister. The word minister is a word that means to kick up dust. To be so excited about serving that you just kick up dust. See, somebody that's serving out of guilt or serving out of an obligation rather than serving out of delight, but they're serving out of duty, they always feel like there's this weight on them. But a faithful minister serves in the fact we kick up dust. There's a trail behind us because people know we're following the faithful one, the faithful servant, the one who has set us free. So I would think in this time of transition that we're in, that all of us would step up to the plate and say, Lord, make me who I really am, which is faithfulness in you. Let me do my part in the body of Christ. Let me be faithful, not because I'm trying to put myself on the shelf and let people see me. I want people to see you in me, so I want to be faithful, but I want to be a minister. We're all ministers in this room. 
Every one of us is gifted. What you do is just as important as what I do. If we got someone that parks in the parking lot and walks in and nobody says hi, that's bad. It's bad because we're already behind the eight ball. We're trying to get people to understand it's Christ in you. So when you walk the halls, it's Christ in you. You don't have to walk with your head down. You can walk with peripheral vision and say, Christ in me. Christ, who do you want to come forth into today? But listen, sometimes you just have to say yes to the Lord. Even if you say by personality, I'm more of an ingrown personality. I don't know what that's like, but listen to me. I'm not administrative. My giftedness is not in administration. But watch this. If Christ lives in me and there's an administrative need in the church, he can do it if I'll surrender to him. And he can even use me. Because he's the giver of the gifts. Now, you put me in an administrative position for a long period of time, I'll die. (laughs) That's the reason that we understand our giftedness. Because there's a fulfillment Not a frustration in our giftedness, but Paul says, Tychicus, he's faithful. He's a faithful minister. And I want to just say this to all of us in this room. Let's be faithful, not to the church, to God Almighty, because he's faithful to us. And let's serve wherever we're asked to serve. Let's do whatever we're asked to do. Listen, I started out in student ministry, and I thought, I want the lights. I want the pop. I want all that stuff. The smoke. We got smoke now. I like all that stuff. You know what Emory Gad told me? Get a mop. You're going to clean the bathroom. Seriously. You know what I did? I got a mop, and I started cleaning bathrooms. I started cleaning toilets. I got a bus uh, route here at Sagemont. And I sweated on Saturday morning. And I said to people, I want to go into the ministry. I don't need this stuff. Listen, that is the ministry. Ministry is fellowship. And whatever God asks you to do, sometimes God wants you to follow because he wants to teach you fellowship. And he wants to teach me fellowship. So I love what Paul's saying here. Don't miss this as we land this plane. He says, Tychicus is faithful and he's a beloved minister. And he says, he will make all things known to you. And then he says in verse 22, he says this, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may encourage your hearts. So here's what Paul had in prison. He had joy. Joy does not exclude you from pain. Joy takes you through the pain. Joy is your sufficiency in the contentment that God has given you in the situation that you're in, not to focus on the circumstance. And Paul says, I don't want you to focus on the fact that I'm in prison. I want you to focus on the fact that God has allowed me to be in prison and I am speaking a word of encouragement to you and Tychicus is going to be the runner. That's what he's saying here. So the purpose that God has you in, the purpose that God has me in, we've learned about joy. We've learned about contentment. Um, If you're discontent today, in your walk, in your life, in your situation, that's a byproduct of unrest in Christ. Discontentment is a byproduct of unrest in Christ. Sufficiency is contentment. Not so much in my situation, it's contentment with the one who's in control of my situation. That's what Paul is saying. So for this very purpose, God has a purpose for all things. He knows the beginning from the end. He has a plan. He has something that he wants to do in your life and in my life. And if we'll cooperate with him, so many times in my life I have fought the Holy Spirit wanting to do something in my life. 
I've just wrestled and I fought and I never win. When I, in contentment, come before the Lord with joy in my heart for what he's done for me, then he helps me to stand in my situation with the sufficiency that he's got everything under control and all he wants me to do is follow him in the situation. That's what he's saying. So Paul's in prison here. These are final words, but these are big words. Look at the last part of it. So that I may know your affairs, 22, and that he may comfort and encourage your hearts. So the idea is the word encourage, the word comfort, means to come alongside somebody. There's somebody in this room today that needs encouragement from you that needs comfort from you in the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to bring you alongside someone because you don't know what situation they're walking through, but God's going to put them in your path. And when he puts that person in your path, you're to come alongside them and encourage them and comfort them. How do you encourage someone who's going through adversity when you're going through adversity yourself? I ask myself that same question. How am I supposed to come along and encourage someone when I need encouragement myself? God says, let me encourage you. Let me infuse you with the Holy Spirit. Let me work in your life, Freeman, so that you can comfort others, so that you can come alongside and be a cheerleader for someone, even though you're going through great pain, even though you're going through a suffering situation and a difficult time. I can still use you, Freeman, if you will surrender to me in this moment and say yes to me. When you say yes to me, then my encouragement flows through you to someone else. Let me show you how it works. Rex Forsyth has a tremendous ministry with pastoral care. Many of you are involved in that. If you go into the hospital, you'll be visited, if we know about it, if you let us know. If you don't, don't get mad. Some people do that too. But what happens is, if you have the gift of encouragement the gift of exhortation, the gift of mercy. Those are the kind of people that you want to go to the hospital, not someone with the gift of prophecy. Here's why. Because if you think you have the gift of prophecy, but you've misaligned what your calling is, you're going to go into the hospital room and rather than encourage someone, rather than come alongside them, rather than take the straw out of the wrapper, put it in the the water and give them a sip, that's what encouragement does. You're going to tell them to get out of that bed. Somebody else needs that bed. Now get out of here. Somebody else needs it. That's the gift. See, see, that's not the gift of encouragement. When you and I allow Christ to use whatever giftedness he's put in us, then we come alongside someone and minister to them. We encourage them in the faith. That's what Paul's saying here. So in your situation, whatever you find yourself in this morning, see if you can ask God to get your eyes off of you. You get your eyes off of you and get your eyes onto Christ who's the sufficient one and then let him lead you to someone who needs encouragement that you're not even aware of. That's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's actually putting feet and flesh to the words that we sang. Here in your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, lead us. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 23. Here's what Paul says. Peace to the brethren and love with faith. Usually he puts faith before love, and usually he puts grace before peace, but he reverses it here. He says in verse 23, peace. Peace is not the absence of fear. Peace is an inner tranquility 
that no matter what you go through, what's on the inside is going to take you further than what you could do in the flesh on the outside. You have the peace of God. You have the peace of God. You have the peace with God. All through Jesus Christ. So he pronounces a blessing of peace to the brethren. And love with faith, in other words, this love that we have, works itself out in faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. So and it's an amazing thing here. It's not the absence of adversity, but God has promised not that Christianity is the easy way, but he has promised that his peace will help us in the hard way that we're facing, that he will never let us go through anything alone. God is not lonely. We're the ones that are lonely. He doesn't need us to go to heaven in order to keep him company. He is all sufficient God. We're the ones that are lonely. We're the ones in desperate need of him. And when Christ comes into your heart, he gives you a peace that passes all understanding and an inward tranquility in the midst of any storm that you face that Christ in you makes you alive, even when you don't feel like it, because we walk with the belt of truth. Remember, we've learned that. Peace. This is what he says. And then he says in verse 24, coming home, grace. He opened the letter, grace and peace. He closes the letter, peace and grace. The result of having peace in your life through Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, through receiving the grace gift, the unmerited favor of God through Jesus Christ. All that Jesus Christ has done for you, he's done for you because of his grace, because of his mercy. That's what he's done. Grace, look at this, be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity or in uh, incorruptible, with an incorruptible love. Now, when you think of an incorruptible love, you think of a love that's pure. Now, when you think about an incorruptible love, you have to think about how much God has loved us. There are people that love football. So here's what I'm thinking. There are people that love football more than they love Jesus. But if you take a Texas Longhorn fan and a Texas A&M fan, and you ask them out of love to exchange jerseys, that ain't going to happen. There's not a love between the two, right? But what I want you to understand here, what Paul is saying is, grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the point. This is important to understand. Because God has loved me by his grace and his mercy. Because all love is initiated by God. All love is not manufactured by man in a response. It is initiated by God. And what is initiated by God must be received by man. So if I'm going to love Jesus with an incorruptible love, I first must respond to his love for me. And so when I get overwhelmed with the love of Jesus, when I understand all that Jesus has done for me, when I understand the fullness of all these six chapters, where we've come from about chapter one, it was like a fireworks display going off in chapter one. Predestined, chosen, adopted, all these things that Jesus has done for me. That's what he has initiated in my life. And then I go to chapter two and he moves me from death to life. I just get enamored with the fact that he initiated love in that way. 
Chapter three, he tells me to be strengthened on the inside, be strengthened on the inner man. And then chapter four, he talks about now that you're strengthened on the inside. Chapter four is now you're connected with the body of Christ. Chapter five, we get into being filled with the spirit and how God works in marriages in childhood, uh, in employer-employee relationships, all of those things in chapter five. Then we come to chapter six and he just talks about how great he is in the armor. Now watch, because God has initiated that in my life, the only logical response for me in an incorruptible way to love him is not to try to manufacture that kind of love. It's to simply respond to the great love that God has given me through Jesus Christ that I do not deserve. I am a broken, sinful man who has made mistakes, but but because he has loved me with an incorruptible love, I turn around and respond to that incorruptible love and say, I love you back with the same kind of love. I want to be faithful to you like you've been faithful to me. I want to respond to the invitation of intimacy that you have given given to me. And I just want to say yes to you because you're God and I'm not. That's what he's saying. This is an incredible love here. It's an incredible love. The church can't provide this. Let me see if I can close with this illustration. I get tons of invitations over the years. I've I've had tons of invitations to, uh, to go to banquets and, and they usually tell you things like there's going to be some food. But what they should clarify on the invitation is what kind of food it's going to be. Is it going to be succulent fillets or is it going to be rubbery chicken with box cake? Because really, you've all gotten those invitations. I rely on my wife to tell me, if this is an event we're going to, do I need to eat before I go? (laughs) She will say, yes, you probably need to eat before you go. Am I dressed appropriately for this event? No, you probably need to put a coat and a tie on. This is a coat and tie event. So here's what she has told me over the years. I can tell by the invitation what kind of event it will be. See, if more attention were paid to the invitation, we would know what kind of event this would be. Let me tell you something about the invitation of Jesus Christ. A lot more could be known about an event if people would pay more attention to the invitation. Let me tell you what the invitation is to eternally fellowship with God Almighty. God drafted his word. Almost 40 human authors, 66 volumes, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses, and 7,746 words. No expense was spared on this invitation. And Jesus Christ died and delivered this gospel message of love to you. Let's pay attention to this invitation. It's an invitation of grace. It's an invitation of mercy. It's an invitation today that no matter what you're going through in your life, if you'll pay attention to the invitation of intimacy, because God wants you in heaven, not because he needs company, but because he loves you with an everlasting love. And he loves you with an eternal love. And if you today could take your prison and turn it into a pulpit for God's glory and say, God, you're sovereign, you're good, and I want you to receive glory through my life, you're going to have to respond to the invitation to receive God's love. You don't initiate it. God initiates it with you today. Some of you in your life, you are a lonely person. You're fighting battles in your life. You're running from God, and he's everywhere. The invitation today for you, quit running, quit stressing, 
Let God save you by his grace and mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, and walk out of here with a peace in your heart that passes all understanding. You can have that gift today. You can receive an invitation that was divinely meant for you. It is God's desire and God's will for you to come to Jesus Christ by faith. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin. He wants to take your shame and your guilt and knock it away as far as the east is from the west and put his beautiful Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit in your life so that now you can be a vessel of truth for him. Would you receive the free gift of salvation today?